0: Creative Babble.
1: Hey, it's Javier. Today is Halloween, and usually on Halloween, we like to tell scary stories like vampires, werewolves, mummies, but no, I want to share with you one of my biggest fears, and that's when I was growing up in Miami, as a kid, I would stumble upon a dead animal and it could be a goat's head or a chicken and even today my kids they still encounter these things while we're walking to my grandmother's house and they ask me why why is there a dead animal on the street and it's and I tell them it's because of this religion called santeria <laughs> when i was a kid That was the scariest thing for me. So while this might be an unusual Halloween episode, I thought I would pull it out of the archives. I haven't listened to it in three years or so and and share it with you all just in case you haven't heard it. I even had a professor reach out to me and ask me if they could play this episode and teach it at their university. And I said yes. So this episode is really personal. I don't usually turn the microphone back at me, but I thought you might want to listen to it. So happy Halloween, everyone. Let's play the
2: Babalao. These
1: are the sounds of my childhood nightmares. You see, Most kids are afraid of monsters lurking in the dark. But my monsters, they were real and all around me. At school, at church, even in my neighborhood, there was no running from it. As a kid, I had nightmares of spirits taking over my body or someone putting a curse on me by leaving a dead animal laying on my doorstep. I'm serious. I'm not joking. I heard all kinds of stories of dead babies in jars and people digging up graves to collect human skulls and bones for their secret rituals. Ooh, I get chills just thinking about it. I'm talking about Santería, the faith, not the song. Unlike the pop tune, not a lot of people know about this mysterious religion. Santería, also known as La Regla de Ocha, La Regla de Ifá, and Lucumi is an Afro-Cuban religion that literally means the worship of saints. I grew up Roman Catholic in Miami, Florida, where it seemed like everyone around me practiced Santeria. Even my friends in Sunday school practiced the faith. You don't understand. This isn't some gimmicky tourist voodoo crap you see at a gift shop. In Miami, Santeria is a legitimate religion, and it still scares the crap out of me. Even the people in Miami who don't practice Santería all say the same thing. I don't believe in Santería, but I respect it. What is a little kid like me supposed to think when everyone around me is telling me that my deepest fears? Yeah, they might be real. But these fears, they're based on rumors and speculations. You see, Santería is a very secretive religion by design. They're supposed to keep their rituals veiled from us muggles. Actually... They have a term for us, non-believers. Aleyu. I guess it's only natural to fear what we don't understand. And I want to be fair here. I'm not trying to pick on anyone's religion. Most religions, if you think about it, have some sort of supernatural component that could seem strange or weird to other people. So you may be asking yourself, Javier, where is the pretend angle here? Well, this religion in particular gives me the heebie-jeebies. Not just because of the animal sacrifices or the other rituals, but because I feel that some people go to Santeria priests almost like they're fortune tellers. Are these Santeria priests just blowing smoke and taking advantage of people's emotions? Or am I discriminating against this faith? Spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure I'm discriminating against their faith. But I'm better than that, right? Are any of my fears real? Or are they just based on urban legends? Well, there's only one way to find out. I need to travel back to my hometown of Miami, Florida and embed myself in the Santeria community. Damn it. I'm scared. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend Radio. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom-scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, And the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. All right, so I'm here with my friend Edward, and uh, we're here at my house, the house where I grew up.
0: I should tell you my Santero story.
1: My friends Edward and Abby dropped by, so I decided to record our conversation with my iPhone. Yeah, that's the neighborhood ice cream truck you hear in the background. Miami's a noisy place. And people are always outside of their homes like talking and walking around. There's always music playing, laughter, shouting. It feels more like a Latin American village than a suburban middle America. Growing up here, I've always had people coming in and out of my house and you don't need an invitation. Friends and family just walk in unannounced and drop off mangoes and avocados from their backyard. Then they stay for some cafecito or Cuban coffee. It was a great place to grow up. Like right across the street, like you see those people that live yeah. right there. Yeah, they're yeah. Santeros, and like, <laughs> really. yeah, yeah. No dude. Way. I grew up, I grew up with these people, and like, and we we've been friends forever, like childhood friends, and never have I asked them about their religion because it's a pretty big house too. Like, it, it's really like, well, but uh, yeah, and so like growing up, like we've been friends with the kids in that house, but I, I've always like. Been freaked out about their religion. I've never asked them a thing about it. Yeah, or... yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, do you hear like congos and stuff at all? Like, like... I-
1: I've never heard congos mm-hmm. and stuff. But no. that's why I wanted to do the story because I've been, you know, like, what the fuck? Then Abby walks into the conversation. Abby, do you believe in Santeria?
2: Uh, you know, I actually do.
1: Do you really? I know. Do I'm... you really?
2: Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing. I, I, I've, I have. Been personally um, experienced some things.
1: Abby was born and raised Jehovah's Witness.
2: I I came from a background that was very, like, religious and was like...
1: But since then, she's left the church, and as far as I knew, she was not particularly religious.
2: And I'm very, like, science-based now, but there are things that I cannot... I just can't, um, I I can't explain. I mean, it's just very odd Like, what happened that... Because uh,
1: like, I'm, I'm actually shocked that
2: I know, I know, that me out of all people
1: When, when I was in high school I was dating this girl yeah, like, but but like two killer. dates. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the chicken. <laughs> okay, so I didn't know she was a santera, and um, one day she calls me and she's like starts speaking in tongue. Oh, really? <laughs> like, I don't know yeah, right. she started. Oh, oh yeah, That's she weird. started calling me and like, wah, 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 you know, like all this stuff, and I'm like, I don't know. And this was before like you know caller ID and all that. So right, yeah. so I hung up. I had no idea. Who they, I had no idea who that was. And so all of a sudden she calls back and she goes, Hey, I'm sorry, but I was like possessed. No. Yeah, oh,
0: no, and dude, uh, why, and
1: I was, no. and I said what you were possessed? And she goes, yeah, I was possessed by a saint. And then she said that um, was it oh, Chango it was, oh, or something? Who knows? Yeah. I just I not know about Chango. And then when I was like in elementary, there was like this kid, his name was Eduardo Machado. Well, yeah, warts all all through like from kindergarten to like fourth grade, he had oh, wow. warts on his face. And then one day he shows up and he doesn't have warts on his face anymore. And it was just like, how did that happen? Well, he said that his mom took him to a uh, santera. Oh, and, like dude, what? Yeah. You can see how none of this really makes sense. So I had to find the truth firsthand. I had to find a Babalao. What's a Babalao? A Babalao is a Santeria priest who acts as a medium channeling the advice or prophecy of the Orichas. Orichas, as I understand it, are the spirits who are a manifestation of Olodumare, the Supreme God. We'll get into the history and origins of Santeria in a minute, but first... I have to find the Santeria priest. Starting route to 97 so 97 I asked my mom school. to help me find a Babalao. She told me that she knew a Babalao and that she'll take me to him, so we hopped in her car. So you know where you're going? Yep. <laughs> she doesn't practice Santeria, but recently, she's become more open-minded about the religion, which is totally weird because we grew up strictly Catholic. Oh, so where'd you find
0: this guy? I found him because he's Loli, my cousin's neighbor, and I needed help from him.
1: You don't really believe that stuff, do you?
0: Yes, I do. You do? I do.
1: But you wouldn't consider yourself Santera.
0: Oh, no, no.
1: I asked her about the first time he gave her a reading or a consulta, as they call it.
0: I'm very nervous, and we started talking. He's a very nice guy. We just started talking. And Loli said, you know, Oli, I, he's a really honest man and he's going to, he would help you and he's not going to lie to you. He's not going to do something bad. So
1: you believe in it?
0: Because it proved me right.
1: It proved you right? How?
0: He didn't know anything about anything. I just went to him and I, I said, um... I need help. And then he started talking to me. He says, oh, but it's not for you. It's not about you. It's about your son. And I said, yeah, how do you know? And he said, you have two, two kids. And I said, really? And he said, yes, but one is in trouble. Uh, because they were going to fire you. And I went to him. And he told me that you were leaving that job. And not to worry because you were going to go to a better place and you were going to be in a better position because you had a start in your life. And he didn't know they were going to fire you.
1: (sighs) Okay, okay. Let me explain. At the time, the company I was working for was having massive layoffs. And it was a scary time because every week there was another round of layoffs. And pretty soon, almost everyone around me was gone. Yeah, I was a little worried. But my mom, she was really worried. I mean, so worried that she went to go see a Lao about it. The Santeria priest reassured her and told her that the orichas say that I was going to get another job. And I did. Wow. He had a 50-50 chance of getting that right. I'm still not convinced. You know this stuff freaks me out, right? Yeah, I know. And I know you don't believe it. I remember when I was a kid... You would tell me that if you ever found, like, a a dead animal or a dead chicken on on your doorstep, what what do you have to do to it?
0: Pee on it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
1: Yes, pee on it. I think she just made that up just to freak me out. So we arrive at the Babalao's house. As a journalist, I've seen lots of things and been in very tense situations. So I'm used to running towards chaos, but this time, I was pretty nervous. The heck was I going to walk into? The Babalao opens the door and greets us. His name is Fernando. Fernando Segundo Ceballos Sierra. El, 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 ese es my nombre. Yo soy Babalao. Fernando was much younger than I expected. He's probably in his mid-40s, but he could easily pass someone in his early 30s. He was thin, good-looking... Very personable. And the kind of guy that once you get started, can't stop telling you stories. I immediately felt relaxed. I met his wife and his 9-year-old daughter. The little girl was making slime with her mom at the dinner table. Slime. That's exactly what my 9-year-old daughter would be doing right after school. What was I so afraid of? This family was normal. There was nothing unusual about them or their home. Except for the room right across us. Sitting on the ground was an ancestral shrine for the dead. It contained food, drinks, candles, flowers, and other offerings. We stepped outside to talk. Fernando tells me that when the African slaves were brought to Cuba from colonial times, they weren’t allowed to openly practice their African religion, so they had to disguise their beliefs.
2: Africana. <laughs>
1: The slaves kept their religion alive by aligning or syncretizing the orichas, you know, the spirits, with the Catholic saints. Syncretism is the combining of different beliefs. So essentially, the Catholic Saint Barbara is actually the oricha chango. And then the Catholic Saint Our Lady of Charity is actually the oricha ochung. Saint Lazarus, he's the oricha babalao
2: Pero no son la misma, no.
1: Fernando says that the slaves could believe in both. They could believe in the Oricha Chango and St. Barbara. They weren't mutually exclusive, they were syncretized. And yes, that's a real word. I gotta admit, I'm a native Spanish speaker. I didn't even learn how to speak English until I was like six years old. And I had trouble understanding everything Fernando was telling me. It's like like he was speaking another language, and he was speaking another language. I kind of wanted to speak with someone who studied this religion from an academic point of view.
3: My name is Cynthia Duncan, and I am a professor of... Latin American studies with a specialization in Cuban and Caribbean culture. First of all, I want to address that Santería is the name that people use commonly to refer to this religion, but it's not the name that we inside the religion use for it. We call it Regla de Ocha. Regla de Ocha, rule of the Oritas, And I think it's important to make that distinction because it is A way of life. It's a way that we look at the world.
1: She explains that Santeria originates from the Yoruba region in West Africa, which is modern-day Nigeria. You see, in the early 19th century, Cuba was poised to become one of the world's dominant sugar exporter. And they needed a workforce. So they forcefully brought hundreds of thousands of people from Western Africa. And with the slaves also came their religion, Regla de Ocha, what we call... Santería. The first thing I wanted to know is, what are the orichas? You know, the spirits who communicate to the Babalaos?
3: Orichas are, I guess the best word in English would be deities. Um, I don't call them gods because actually our religion is monotheistic uh, in the sense that we believe there is one creator. The creator in our religion is called Olodumare. Dumare created the Orichas to be messengers and help with tasks that needed to be done to create the conditions for the earth to be populated by plants, animals, human beings. And so we have our own creation stories that are not that different, I guess, from other world religions. When human beings started to appear on the earth, we believe that many of those first Human beings were sent by the creator, Olodumare. They were divine creations, and they were sort of the leaders.
1: The orichas helped early humans figure out how to work agriculture and how to establish villages and how to function as a society.
3: And those orichas, uh, those human beings, on their death became orichas because of their um, extraordinary service to humanity or because of their extraordinary skill at something. So for the most part, the orichas are a little bit similar to the idea of a Catholic saint in the sense that if I'm understanding correctly, I remember going to catechism, the saints were human beings at one point too, and upon death, they were canonized and they became saints. So the orichas were at one time human beings. And that's why they understand about human beings, they can intercede on our behalf, because they know what it feels like to be Um, envious or jealous or angry, you know, they, they're not perfect. They, when they were human beings, they made mistakes too. And so when we have a problem, we can ask the orichas to intercede on our behalf and they will help us with our struggles and they will give us um, their support when we're dealing with some kind of a difficulty.
1: So essentially the orichas are somewhere in between human and divine, Cynthia tells me that these are all stories passed down orally from generation to generation.
3: We don't have anything like a Bible where it's all written down.
1: I was interested in this concept of syncretization, the idea that the African slaves forced into Catholicism had to hide their beliefs behind the Catholic saints. Which leads me to the pretend angle number two. Did the slaves have to pretend to worship the Catholic saints in order to practice their religion? As you will soon learn, it's not that clear-cut.
3: Um, Yemaya is associated with the sea, Ochuna is associated with the river, Um, Ochosi and Ogun are often associated with the woods, Um, Chango is associated with thunder and lightning. But all of these associations are really just kind of symbolic representations of their character, in a way. And many people think, oh, they were confused and they thought that Santa Barbara was Chango. No, no, there was never confusion. They knew perfectly well Santa Barbara is Santa Barbara and Chango is Chango. They didn't mix them up. But they would look for things that they had in common. So, for example, with Yemaya, she was associated with the Virgin of Regla. And so because um, Yemaya had this nature of being the mother, you know, the great mother, it would make sense to people that we're going to make her a little bit like the Virgin Mary. She's a mother, right?
1: So, if the church forced all these slaves into Catholicism, why did the Spanish not care about their religion from carrying on? Did they not know what was going on?
3: And the way that it was concealed is that the Cuban slaves—they were baptized. Okay, they were given Christian names. They were expected to pay what I would say lip service to the Catholic religion, but usually what that consisted of is maybe going to church once a year, and the rest of the time they did what they wanted. So as long as they weren't too obvious about what they were doing, and as long as they were not threatening in any way to upset the economic and social system of Cuba, they were given a fair amount of leeway about what they could do.
1: She says the landowners typically lived in the city, so when the masters were away, The slaves were allowed to practice their drumming ceremonies and dances.
3: They kind of wanted to stamp it out on the surface, but they didn't pay that much attention to it.
1: There's something you don't know about Cynthia Duncan. She is not just a professor of Latin American studies. She also practices santeria. I'll let her reintroduce herself.
3: My name is Cynthia Duncan in the Yoruba religion I am Enyi Achoya, that's my religious name. I am a priestess of Ochun. I was initiated in Palmira, Cuba. I am a priestess of Ochun, and Olocha. Um, and it has made a remarkable difference in my life. I don't know if people from the outside can say that. Like, I don't know if they can look at me and say, oh, you know, she's different than she used to be. But I feel different. I feel better. I feel much calmer. I feel a lot more self-confident. You know,
1: it is one thing to study Cuba. And then there's another thing to actually, like, you know, fall in love with this religion. Like, what, what made you want to step into this faith?
3: Well, it was over a period of, more than twenty years, so it wasn't like a sudden decision. But I think the thing that really um, was the most important for me was getting to know the people there as individuals and and sort of becoming involved in their daily lives and seeing how they lived and who they were and what their values were. And you know, everybody in Cuba goes to get a consulta from time to time. You know, when you go see the babalao,
1: a consulta is a form of divination or a session where the babalao communicates to the orichas through special items such as shells or beads to foretell the future.
3: And, and I think it's just a typical thing that Cubans do. The way here in the United States, if you are sick, you go to a doctor. If you have an emotional problem, you go see a psychologist or you get counseling or something. And in Cuba, there is a general belief that when you have a problem, you go to the babalao, And you figure out what the problem is, and then you do something to fix it. And everybody I know, all the professors, you know, at one time or another, were showing up to get a consulta. And they didn't talk a lot about it. So outside of the Sociedad Cristo, I had no idea that these people were interested in the religion. And then I would be sitting there in the patio you know, spending the day talking to the family, and I would realize that very important people were coming here for consulta. So I started doing that, like everybody else in Cuba, and I had some issues that, you know, problems that were popping up, and I could see that it really made a difference. It, it's hard to explain, but uh, when I received, there's a ceremony that where you receive what they call the warriors. The warriors are Elegua, Ogún, and Ochosi. And when I received these warriors, um, I was having some issues. And, and I remember thinking, okay, let's see if this makes any difference. And within three months, the situation reversed itself and, and everything turned out really well. And it could just be a coincidence. But time after time, I saw that happening and I think at some point you just decide that you have faith, that you believe.
1: My mom has been, you know, talking to this guy and it seems, it's hard to explain. And I, I got to admit, I am not a believer, um, but it is seems very strange that these things that my mom is talking to this man about seem to be coming true. And I can't rationalize that. And my wife and I were even talking about this today uh, over dinner. Like, this one woman that was bothering her, and all of a sudden my mom has this conversation with this man, and she doesn't even talk to her anymore. Like, she just stopped talking. To her, and Like, we don't understand that. You know, like, is that too much to ask of a faith? To that, that Does Santeria offer that kind of... What seems to be like magic in my eyes, I mean.
3: Well, it's magic in your eyes. In my eyes, it's how our religion works. So, yes, what what is happening, the thing that you have just described has happened hundreds and hundreds of times to me and people I know that is part of our religion, that. It's a very complicated thing because there is no rational explanation for it. I can't just tell you it's magic. I don't believe it is magic. I believe that there is a metaphysical and theosophical explanation for it.
1: Give us like an anecdotal, like about one of your first rituals and what was that like?
3: Well, I'm not going to give you any details of it because we don't do that. But I will tell you how I felt. Um, One of the things that is... I think fundamental here. And you had mentioned earlier about how you grew up having a certain amount of fear about this. And I can tell from your voice that you're a little bit uncomfortable with this idea of it's a mysterious thing. And it's, you know, like this kind of spooky stuff that happens in a closed behind the closed door. And I don't know what they're doing in there. Um, I think that that is a very natural response to anything that you don't understand. Some of the
1: rituals. And I I think that that's where it becomes so mysterious for some people, especially if you're looking in from the outside.
3: Yes. And the first thing I will tell you is they are mysterious on purpose because we function through initiation. And so we believe that until you have undergone that particular ceremony yourself, you don't need to know anything about it. So for example, Um, How does how is the ceremony to receive the warriors? I mentioned I received the warriors. You haven't received your warriors, so I'm not going to tell you what's done. We don't tell people how we do the ceremonies until they have been through the ceremony themselves. And this is for a couple of reasons. One is a very practical reason. Going back to, you know, the older period of time where you don't know how people are going to use that information. So if I tell you this information in good faith, how do I know what you're going to do with? So, for example, before I was initiated, I could go to the house where my godfather lived and I could get consultas, you know, he could divine for me. I would be invited to um, some drumming ceremonies.
1: A godfather or a godmother in Santeria refers to the person who initiated you into Santeria. There,
3: there were certain things that are open to everybody, and I could go to those. But there's a room that they call the Cuarto de Santo, where they make, you know, where they do their their ceremonies, and only priests can go in there. If you're not initiated, you don't go in that room.
1: Uh, and I understand what you're saying, but I'm just trying to think of, a, of another faith that conceals their methods you know uh, can you think of a of another analogy that would help us um, understand why it's secretive
3: well i don't see it that way um i i don't know if you were were you raised a catholic for example
1: yes yes Uh do you
3: know do you know everything that the priest does how would the priest explain transubstantiation
1: Transubstantiation refers to that moment when the bread and wine are changed into the blood and body of Christ.
3: Isn't that a mystery?
1: I I would imagine that um, somebody that's not familiar with Santeria would probably say, Oh, well, you're kind of like a fortune teller or somebody that you would see at at the mall or something.
3: I'm not a fortune teller because your destiny is not written in stone and you have a choice. So what I'm telling you is through the divination I've seen today, for example, a message may come out very strongly and it says, if you keep doing what you're doing right now, this problem is never going to go away. You have to change this, this, this and this in order to correct the problem. Right. So that's my advice to you. And you walk out the door and it's up to you. You can do what I said or you can ignore me. And that's why I've seen in this religion, um, you know, people with health problems and their health has vastly improved. That's the number one reason that people get initiated is for health reasons. Um, It can also bring you um, a lot of peace of mind, tranquility.
1: So you you brought something up about most people come to the the faith because of health issues. But like, do you ever in your personal experience, like, have you ever offered anybody the cure for something like you would? Would you promise? Oh, no, no, no,
3: no. It's not that I'm going to cure you of something but what it does is it like it's like taking vitamins or you know supplements it strengthens you and it puts you on the right path so there are things that we can change ourselves and one of the first pieces of advice if anybody has a health issue and it comes out in divination is go see a doctor because we very much believe in Western medicine and go get this checked out and see what the doctor says. You know, so we're not like witch doctors that cure people of illnesses, but we strengthen the body and the mind through our religion and through faith and through modification of our own behavior so that we are living in a better way.
1: So in a way, they're not promising good health. They're just asking the orichas to remove any obstacles in their path. And the way they do this is by offering the oricha something.
3: And in the end, if there is a problem we need to correct, we do ebo, which is um, an offering of some kind to remedy the situation. And that can be something very, very simple, like just give fresh water and coconut to Elegua, or it can be something very complicated that could potentially involve the sacrifice of animals. That would be the last resort. So let's talk
1: about that actually that seems like a good segue to that because I think that's another one of those areas where you know people don't understand and it's complicated. So what why why do you sacrifice an animal and and like you said that's the last resort how do you get to that point?
3: Whenever we are doing an initiation for example we do have to offer animals. We offer birds of different kinds, chickens, roosters, um, pigeons and ducks sometimes, or guinea hen. And uh, on rarer occasions, but still, whenever we are doing a full initiation, four-footed animals like goats or sheep.
1: Fernando, the Babalao, wanted to show me a place called Idoko Farms. It's a botanica, or a store where people who practice santeria can purchase supplies such as shells, candles, incense, and other spiritual products. Iroco Farms is also where you can buy the animals to sacrifice. I arrived before Fernando and thought maybe I had the wrong address. The GPS took me to a neighborhood with very large houses. I mean, this can't possibly be the right place. This is a residential area and there's not even like a sign for Hidoko Farms. So I sit and I wait for 10 more minutes and sure enough, Fernando pulls up. This is Hidoko Farms. I follow him past the iron gates and pull into the driveway. Immediately upon exiting the car, I walk next to a giant rooster. Straight ahead was an outdoor counter with an old man standing behind it. I was carrying around my camera so I immediately got weird stares. Fernando assured the man that he had permission to be there and explained to him what we were doing. The old man immediately calls the boss and hands Fernando the phone. Hello, dime mommy. The woman on the phone is the owner of Hiroko Farms. As Fernando is clearing things up with her, the old man has his eye on me and he follows me everywhere. We walk into the building and enter what looks like the main store. Fernando walks me through all the things you could buy here. He shows me the candles, the shells, the oils, the necklaces. As he's showing me around, he sparks a conversation with an older lady buying spiritual supplies.
2: Ah,
3: Ah,
1: He asks her, do you practice santeria? And she said, no, but she believes in spiritualism. He tells her he's a babalao. She immediately begins to tell him that her mother's in her late 90s and is very ill. They talk for quite some time. He gave her his number. She tells him that the saints must have put him in her path. (laughs) We walk back outside to where they keep the animals you got to imagine, it's like a big petting zoo at a farm. There were ducks, doves, chickens, and goats. The cages were clean and they were spacious. He tells me that the animals here are cared for and treated well. Fernando tells me, and I quote, until that moment, where we do the ceremony and sacrifice the animal, we treat them with honor. Because this is an animal that we will eventually eat. He explains that during a consulta, sacrificing an animal is always the last resort.
2: consulta,
1: they first offer the saint something small, like a glass of water. But if the situation calls for it and is serious enough, the Baba Lao has to offer the saint a life. Cynthia Duncan explains it this way.
3: We give the animal because we believe that we are sacrificing the animal's life to save our own life. It's understood as an exchange of energy, And so it's actually a very moving, I'm an animal lover, and so it's very difficult for me to think about this, but it is a very moving experience, especially with the four-legged animals, because you have to look that animal right in the eyes. You have to actually put your hands on each side of the animal's face and look it in the eyes and thank it for giving its life for you. The juggler vein is cut. It's cut very quickly with a very sharp knife and it dies immediately. The animal is killed humanely, I believe more humanely than in commercial slaughterhouses, and the animal is eaten. And we are thanking the animal for giving its life and we are eating its meat to sustain us. And so the point that is very important to stress is that unless you're a vegan, if you eat meat that you buy at the supermarket, it's pretty hypocritical to complain that we kill a chicken if you're eating chicken for dinner. Because where do you think that chicken came from, you know?
1: So is it legal to sacrifice an animal in the United States? Well, in 1987, the city of Hialeah, Florida, passed a resolution criminalizing the sacrificing of animals, For any type of ritual, regardless of whether or not the flesh or blood of the animal is consumed. The church of Lukumi Babaluaye sued the city, and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that the city ordinance is unconstitutional. Okay, I get it. They offer up an animal to the saints to trade life for positive energy, but can that energy ever be directed to harm someone? I mean, this is the root of my fear, you know. As part of like tackling this this fear that I've had growing up, you know, I've always heard that like, oh, you know, somebody did Santeria on you, or they did, uh, you know, Brujeria. Like, they if you ever find a, a dead chicken on your doorstep, you've been cursed. I mean, is that what? How much of that is made up? You know, how much of that is true? Like, can you do, can Santeria be used for evil?
3: I think that comments like that are based on ignorance and um, misconceptions about what the religion is. You've heard me say numerous times tonight that we believe in good character. And that is behaving in a moral and ethical way. Um, In my opinion, Santeria is a religion that I can use to make myself better I can use to improve my life and to improve the relationships I have with other people. I have absolutely no interest in harming anybody. I have no reason to harm anybody because I have the protection of the oritas. I believe very strongly that the oritas are with me and they fight my battles for me, and I don't have to worry about punishing anybody or getting revenge. I can walk away, and I know that the Orichas will see that justice is done in whatever way they think is appropriate. It's not my problem. And that is a very liberating feeling because I don't have to punish anybody. There's no reason to punish anybody because I'm absolutely convinced that the orichas will see that they get what they deserve.
1: Okay, one more thing and then I'll drop it. What about the possessions? Are those real? I asked Fernando. He tells me that sometimes the spirits mount people during the drumming ceremonies, He said that someone could get their tongue cut off and won't feel it. And you could do things that humans can't. Like he says a 70 year old woman can carry someone who's 200 pounds. He says he's seen things like this his whole life. Cynthia Duncan explains that possessions normally only happen during the drumming ceremonies. She says that the spirits use the person as a vessel to give advice to those around them. And when it's over, the person who is mounted by the spirit usually has no memory of the event. I asked Cynthia if she feels like Santeria has a place in today's digital age.
3: It's not going anywhere. Um, More people from the outside, you know, who have no obvious link, To Santeria are getting involved with it so it's becoming more multicultural and um, you know there's a large community of African Americans who don't speak Spanish who are drawn to the religion because of their African roots Um, there are a lot of white people who are coming into the religion from some other you know Jewish or Protestant religion Um, the people who are initiated in the religion who practice it are very committed to honoring tradition and doing things the way their ancestors did it.
1: Okay, so I'm still not a believer, but I'm not that scared either. Spending a couple days with Fernando and chatting all night with Cynthia made me appreciate the religion a lot more. Fernando was quick to remind me. He said, your mother came to see me and she told me that you were in trouble. And I don't know, I got a sign and I knew there was something special about you, so I made you something beautiful, and I sent it with your mother. I still have that shell that he made me, and I keep it in my nightstand. He tells me he has faith, because he's seen a lot of good come out of this religion. And while I find my mom's sudden interest in Santa Santería a little strange, I do feel like she finds comfort in it. Just recently, my mom lost a friend who was more like a mother to her. Her nickname was Mamita,
0: I went ahead and went to him, and, and he told me that um, I was in mourning. That's the first thing he told me, that I was suffering. Okay. He said, somebody you love died. And it was true. And he said, those people are your angels. And then I believed in what he said because he didn't know that. He didn't know that at all.